Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ram Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. But I am excited, as Pastor Joe said, we're starting a new chapter today, and I'm honored to be a part of it. Really, we began it last week with Pastor Joe's introductory thoughts to the message, but just honestly, the Holy Spirit kind of interrupted and did what he wanted to do last week. But I do want to pick up on some of the introductory themes that Pastor Joe introduced about kingdom living and a kingdom lifestyle. Let's pray and then we'll jump into this. Father, we thank you for the counsel of your word today. Lord, we want to do what you instructed Jeremiah to do in Jeremiah 23. If you had simply stood in my counsel, we want to stand in the counsel of the Lord by the spirit of the Lord and by holy scripture. We ask that you would speak to our hearts, work in our hearts, and bring us under the government of your kingdom and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin this chapter by going to the book of Colossians, chapter number one. Book of Colossians, chapter number one. And we're going to read verse number 13. This is one of my favorite verses about the Christian experience. Now, we're going to stay here for just a moment and then ultimately go to Matthew, chapter six. But we're beginning in Colossians, chapter one. And one of my favorite statements about the Christian experience. Here's what it says in Colossians, chapter one, verse number 13. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or translated us in a moment, in an instant, translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. The Christian experience is not simply about adopting a new private belief system that changes your destination after death, though that is a part of the Christian experience. The Christian experience is about being translated into a new kingdom. I moved here a little over two months ago, and when I moved to the United Kingdom, I moved into a different kingdom from the United States. Now, we are cousins across the pond, and there are a lot of similarities but there are also distinct differences in the manner of governance in this land than the land that I came from. And so moving here and going through the, you know, all the processes of immigration, many of you have gone through that process yourself, you know there are some things about my prior uh, citizenship that are not translatable to my new citizenship. There are some things about where I came from that don't continue to exist in the place that I have now landed. And one of the things we need to understand about the Christian experience is that there are some things about the kingdom we were a part of that don't translate into the kingdom we're now a part of. Now some things do translate over because they go through redemption. Things like your gifts, your desires, your talents, God will remake them. He'll crucify your flesh and he'll resurrect them in new ways. And there are some things that do translate over because they go through the beautiful lens of redemption. But some things, when you transfer citizenship, they just don't make it to the other side. 
There are some things that just don't cross over to this new kingdom, this new king, and this new government that you are now under when you step into the Christian experience. And today, I want to talk to you about one of those things that don't make it over when you get translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. So to look at that, let's go to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapter number six. Now, even before I introduce the theme of what we're talking about today, of course, the big picture idea is the kingdom of God and life in the kingdom, but we're going to talk about it more specifically and how that plays out in our lives. Before I talk about that theme, let me just give you sort of full disclosure here. This is much more of a surgical theme. What do I mean by that? It kind of gets down into the details of our lives. It gets down into the root system of who we are, what motivates us, what drives us, what makes us tick. Now, by saying it's a surgical word, that doesn't mean I'm the surgeon. The Holy Spirit's the surgeon. And the tools that he's using is the tools of the word of God. My role in this is I'm a fellow patient with you on the table, and I just happen to be common, giving commentary to what the surgeon is doing and describing the tools he's using. And so by talking about this theme, I'm not talking to you about something that I've mastered. I'm talking to you about an area where the Holy Spirit is doing surgery in my own life. And I believe it's an area he wants to do surgery in your life in order to uproot everything that has tried to carry over from the former kingdom. In order to uproot every mentality that was shaped in us by a culture of darkness. And that he wants us to leave behind as he brings us into the kingdom of of light. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse number 24. And the theme I want to talk about today is this no toleration for mammon. No toleration for mammon. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 24. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Thank you, Pastor Joe. Matthew chapter, the beginning of the New Testament, beginning of the Old Testament, you know, there we go. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, whenever I think about this verse, a lot of times I don't think about it in totality. I have a tendency to think about this verse and leave off, leave off the last sentence where Jesus says you can't serve two masters. I'm sorry, I just got a picture of Pastor Joe in the front row actually wearing sunglasses. Could you stand up and turn around for everyone? Just, this is what I'm looking at as I'm trying to preach this morning. I'm sorry, it, I was, I, I'm sorry to distract you from the message. I was being distracted from the message, so I had to bring awareness to it. Thank you, Pastor Joe. All right, back into the word. Matthew chapter 6 through 24. Whenever I think about this verse, I usually don't think about it in its entirety. I usually think about it in a way that I leave off the last sentence. You can't serve two masters. And I'm like, that is so good. God, every area of compromise, every area where I'm loyal to the things of this world, every area where my heart is tempted and, and lured by darkness, God, I want all of that gone. No man can serve two masters. Yes, God. But then Jesus brings it home and he gets real specific with what he's talking about. He's not just talking 
in general terms, you can't serve two masters. He gets very specific and says, by the way, if you're not picking up what I'm putting down, let me say it like this. You cannot serve God and mammon. All right, now mammon, everybody has a different maybe reaction or interpretation of that word. Mammon, just in its most simple way, it means money or riches. But in a more in-depth or holistic way, it's not just talking about money or riches. It's talking about the spirit that surrounds the topic of money and riches. The, the way of thinking that surrounds it. The, the value system of the world, or maybe say it like this, mammon describes the world's relationship with money. The world's relationship with riches. Riches in and of themselves are not a bad thing. The Bible says in another place, money answers all things. So it's not that the Bible looks at riches through a negative lens, but it does look at mammon through a negative lens, specifically the world's way of relating to money. So when I read that and I say, okay, no man can serve two masters, you cannot serve God and mammon, I go, okay, my initial reaction is, let me make sure I'm not greedy. Let me make sure that what's driving my life is not materialism. Let me make sure that comparison and things like that that try to make me, you know, maybe this is an American context, bigger house, bigger car. We like big cars in America, all right? That's just, I don't know, it's who we are. For us, a car is like an extension of our living room. It's just where we hang out with people. So in America, it's like bigger house, bigger car, you know, that, that drive to have more stuff. Okay, God, mammon, I wanna make sure greed is not driving me and I'm not just this money-hungry, you know, the guy that, that is going after worldly possessions in that way. And that certainly is an application of mammon, that certainly is one of the ways in which the world relates to money is in a greedy way. But when Jesus gives his explanation of mammon, he doesn't talk about greed. That doesn't mean he excludes greed. It just means that he doesn't talk about it. That's actually not what comes up when he is describing what it looks like to serve mammon. How do I know that? Because the next verse usually we read as a separation from the former verse. But you've got to notice how the next verse begins. All right? So he says you can't serve God and mammon. You can't be in the kingdom of God and still relate to money the way you did when you were in the kingdom of the world. All right? Next verse, verse 25. Therefore I say to you. Therefore. Now, a friend of mine taught me years ago about Bible study. Wherever you see a therefore or a wherefore, find out what it's there for. In other words, the word therefore is a transition thought that basically means this. Because I said this, now I'm saying this. Therefore is a conclusion to what was just stated. If I am in the middle of a conversation and I say therefore, that does not mean that I'm now transitioning or changing topics. It means I'm continuing the logic of what I just said. So a lot of times, because of the headings in our Bible, we read the Sermon on the Mount as, as though it's not one sermon, but a bunch of random tweets that Jesus had on his mind and finally just started firing them off. 
But that's not the way Jesus taught. Jesus taught in a way that the logic of the kingdom of God was building upon itself and permeating the minds of the disciples. So Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. When Jesus talks about mammon, the next thing he talks about is not greed, it's worry. Why? Because worry is an indicator that mammon still has some piece of my heart. Worry is an indicator that mammon still has some allegiance somewhere in me. Let me just tell you, this is uncomfortable for me to teach because I'm giving commentary to some of the surgery the Holy Spirit's doing in me right now. <laughs> Worry, especially about finances, again, is an indicator that my trust has not followed my salvation. What do I mean by that? In salvation... My spirit man is moved into the kingdom of God. But the trust in my soul has not yet divorced mammon. And I'm still looking there for stability in my life. Worry is an indicator that mammon still has a piece of my heart. That my allegiance is still divided between two masters. Now, with that context in mind, let's go back and let's read... Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, except this time, we're going to read it in the King James Bible. Feels very British to do that, all right? I typically read from the New King James Bible, but we're going to read from the King James. And the reason why is because the King James translates the words of Jesus on this verse in a very insightful way. And the feedback I'm about to give you is not original to me. I heard a pastor from the United States teach on this verse one time. His name is Bill Johnson. He pastors in Redding, California. And as I read this verse, I'm going to give you some of his commentary for you to consider. So here it is in the King James. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. That feels good. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, what's so different about this one? You know, sometimes when we read the Psalms or Proverbs or the words of Jesus, there's interesting repetition. Like the, a psalm, the Psalms are famous for this. They'll say something one way and then turn around and say it again a different way. And sometimes you just think to yourself, okay, it's just saying the same thing in a different way, maybe for poetic rhythm, maybe for poetic clarity, maybe to give uh, you know, the texture of that psalm a certain kind of well-roundedness, maybe to emphasize a point. And sometimes we read the words of Jesus in that way, okay, Jesus in this verse basically said the same thing in two different ways. You'll hate the one and love the other or else you'll hold to one and despise the other. Basically they mean the same thing, don't serve God and mammon. But Bill Johnson as he was looking at this verse, he said, no, 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 that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying the same thing twice. He's describing first what it looks like to serve God. Then he describes second what it looks like to serve mammon. It's not the same thing said twice. He's saying two different things because in the middle of his description, he uses the word or. 
He says, you will hate the one and love the other or hold to one and despise the other. In other words, you have a choice between these two realms. The first one is what it looks like to love God. You love God and you hate the world's way of relating to money because you know the bondage of it. You know the drive of it. You know the worry of it. You know the anxiety of it. So you either love one and hate the other, or if you choose mammon, watch this, you'll hold to one and despise the other. Why do you say you'll hold to one, despise the other? Because when you serve mammon, you wrongfully believe your security comes from your possessions. And anytime God speaks to you in a way that puts a demand on your possessions, you hold tighter to them and despise the commandments of God. Not just in giving. This is not a message about tithe and offering. And I mean, that's not what this is about. This is about obedience to God. I have found that almost any arena of obedience to God puts a demand on your possessions and a demand on where your trust is. So Bill Johnson pointed out, when you're in the place of serving God, you love God, you hate mammon. You don't hate money, you use money. But you don't hate money, you hate mammon, the world's way of relating to money. But in the kingdom of the world, what happens? You hold to what you have because you believe that you need it in order to be secure. You hold to one and you despise the other. Has God ever spoken to you in such a way that you despised his commandment? Has God ever spoken to you in such a way that you wish he didn't say what he just said? You see, one of the things I love about the prophets, and this is a little bit of a different message for another day, but one of the things I love about the prophets is that they love to hear God speak even when, even when what he had to say was hard to digest. Ezekiel and John both. God shows them a little book. It says, eat the book. Ezekiel, eat the scroll. It says that he ate it and it was sweet to his mouth, but it was difficult it was, it was torturous in his stomach. In other words, the prophet was able to hear from God because he loved God's voice more than just hearing something that was easy to digest. So even if it's difficult to digest, I still want to hear your voice. That's a sign that you're not serving mammon anymore. You're serving God because God, if what you have to say challenges the inner workings of my heart, I still want to hear it? Or do we live in a place of saying, God, the things that make life uncomfortable, I would rather not hear you say. Only say the things that are not only sweet to taste, but sweet to digest. If we live in that place of prioritizing comfort above all things, it's an indicator that our God is mammon. I wanna go to Isaiah chapter 62. Verse number 10, not Isaiah, I'm sorry, Psalm 62. Joe's sunglasses are just kind of throwing me off, and I'm saying all these different scriptures. I say, Psalm, Psalm 62, verse number 10. Not serving mammon is not a vow of poverty. It is a heart posture of trust. One of my closest friends named Samuel Bentley, he lives back in Alabama. He always says it like this. Maybe you got it from somewhere, I don't know, but I love the statement. 
He always says, money is a terrible master, but a wonderful servant. In other words, mammon can rule you, or you can rule over it. Not serving mammon is not about taking a vow of poverty. It is about transferring your trust from one kingdom to another kingdom. And saying, where do I find my security? So, I love this verse in Psalm 62, verse 10, because it really gets to the heart of the matter. Really summarizes really well what, what you know, I'm really focused on today. Now, the first two bits are really good. Definitely obey them, but that's not my focus, okay? Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. Now, obviously, if you're trying to steal from someone, that verse applies to you. Please apply it, and don't do that. You know, if you're oppressing people and robbing people, that's not good. It's clear in the Bible, so don't do that. But the second half is really what I, where I want to focus. If, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. In other words, don't find your sense of security and stability from what you have. Even if God gives you a bunch, it could be here today, gone tomorrow. Your foundation has to be a deeper foundation than what do I have. What is your relationship with your possessions? This is not a call to irresponsibility. The Bible has a lot to say about wise stewardship of money. Just glance at the book of Proverbs. Just glance at the teachings of Jesus. This is not a call to irresponsibility and just do kind of whatever you want to do in the name of God. That's not what I'm saying, but here's the question I want to ask. I'm going to give you kind of two thought processes here. Two thought processes here about your decision making, especially concerning life trajectory. So th this is where it really begins to hit home. Do you... Make decisions in your life about money because of the voice of God, or do you make decisions about the voice of God because of money? What's your starting point? The major, and I want to ask you a deeper question, and this is going to get a little more surgical and, and a little deeper, okay? Maybe a little more painful. Go back and review your major life transitions. Was the voice of God at the foundation or your need for money at the foundation? I'm not saying that God will never speak to you about making a transition because of an increase of wealth. That's not what I'm saying. God moves people all the time. I, have a, I know someone in Hamilton, Alabama, where I live, who was in ministry, God spoke to him clearly and said, listen, I love what you're doing, but I've called you to be someone who finances the kingdom. Go and make a lot of money right now. And he transitioned his life story. He went and got into a cattle business. And God has used him in amazing ways to fund kingdom endeavors. So I'm not saying that money's never a factor. What I'm saying is, what is the foundation of your life transition points? Is it worry over finances or is it following the voice of God? Because if our track record, and again, I'm going to push it just a little deeper. If our track record is making decisions primarily about money first rather than God's voice first, 
then it could be we're not following Jesus, we're following mammon. Because if mammon determines our decisions, then that's the master we're serving. If Jesus determines our decisions, then that's the master we're serving. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think through everything I just said, I start to feel very uncomfortable. Because I'm like, Lord, like, I have a human body that needs to be clothed, needs to be fed. I have a wife and four children. Like, you can't call me, you can't be saying to me, make decisions based upon my voice first and not make money a major factor. Now again, I'm not saying money doesn't factor into your decision-making process. Here's what I'm saying. When we don't make the voice of God the foundation of our decisions, what we're communicating to God is that we don't trust you to think through all of the needs that we have. Worry is an assault against the character of our good father. Worry is an assault against his character. If my children woke up worried every single day that they would not have food and they would not have clothing, I would say, don't you know me better than that? Don't, don't you know that I know you need to eat? Don't you know that I know you need clothes? Don't you know that I know you gotta have somewhere to sleep? I'm not going to ignore your needs. So for worry to dominate your mind communicates you don't yet know who I am. Because if you knew who I am, that would not even be in the mix. You would not wake up every day wondering, will I eat today? You would wake up with other questions on your mind. You would wake up wondering, I wonder what we're going to do today. I wonder where we're going to go today. I wonder if it's going to be a day at home just hanging out. Are we going to go out into the city? I, you would ask different questions. If money is the primary thing we're always talking to God about, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. We make our requests known to God. We let him know about our needs. But if that is the primary conversation we're having with God, it's an indicator we don't yet trust his character to take care of us. This is why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, you know, the Gentiles use vain repetitions, hoping they'll be heard by God to get their needs met. He said, but listen, your heavenly father already knows what you have need of before you even ask him. So when you pray, pray like this. And he doesn't start with give us our bread. It's in there, it's in there, but that's not the starting point. Because the assumption is, God so cares about you, you don't have to start there. You get to start with, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because he knows your needs, you get to start with his kingdom agenda on earth as it is in heaven. And once that's established, then you can start talking about your needs. Because Jesus knows it's a real thing. Jesus knows it's a real factor. I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but you read the rest of Matthew chapter 6 after he says, do not worry. And he goes through and, he, and Jesus describes in detail, like, 
If I'm Jesus, and this is like my sermon, this is the moment for me to really unpack Revelation, I would not spend that much time talking about worry. I mean, I just wouldn't, like something else, Jesus. But he takes a good chunk of the Sermon on the Mount, describing in detail how much your father knows, how much you need food, how much you need clothing, how much you need shelter. I mean, he goes through and he unpacks it and makes sure that we are clear, the Father knows everything you need. And then he says this, he says all of these natural needs, these are the things, watch this, the Gentiles seek after. Those that are not yet in God's kingdom. And what he's saying is, that's the world's relationship with possessions. And it's all built on Matthew six twenty four. you can't serve God and mammon. What does it look like to mammon? What does it look like to serve mammon? The dominating thoughts in your mind are worry and concern about natural possessions and natural needs. Jesus is saying that's the way they do it in the world. But here's what you get to do. Because your father already knows, here's what you get to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amazing. I want to read one more scripture and then we will wrap up. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew, not Genesis. Matthew 13. And we're going to read verse 22. Matthew 13, 22. Now, Pastor Joe referenced this passage a few Sundays ago. And he rightfully said, I love that he said this, it's so clarifying, so many times we call this the parable of the sower, the parable of the seed, when it ought to be called the parable of the soil. Because the sower and the seed are the same throughout the parable, they're the constants. The things that change is the condition of the soil. And however the soil receives the seed determines the level of fruitfulness that it experiences. Now, again, I'm not going to read the whole parable. Most of us are familiar with it. If you're not, please go read Matthew 13. It is, it is, Jesus says another part, if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand any other parable about the kingdom. So this parable is like a foundational parable that you have to build upon, which gives us the revelation that kingdom access comes from the posture of our hearts, the receptivity of our hearts. So he talks about different heart conditions. The soil is the, the heart. Different heart conditions and why we're not always fruitful in the kingdom of God. And of course, you know, in this whole process of moving to Manchester, hearing from God, make this transition, this verse became a really important one for me and for Delena and for our family. Here's what it says in Matthew 13, 22. Now, he who received the seed among thorns. So remember that. The seed comes in, and in this soil, the thorns spring up and they choke out the seed of the word of God. The seed of the kingdom of God's word, it gets suffocated from thorns. It says, let me start over. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now, Obviously, now that this is toward the end of the message, you already see where I'm going, the cares of this world, because it choked the seed. But what really spoke to me recently is the next part, not just the cares of this world, but the deceitfulness of riches. Again, a lot of times when I hear that phrase, deceitfulness of riches, I think immediately greed. Okay, if I'm greedy after money, 
I can't be fruitful in the kingdom. But I think Jesus is dealing with a deeper heart issue than just greed. The deceitfulness of riches. In other words, riches have a way of deceiving you into thinking you're secure because you have them. You're stable because you have them. Remember, Psalm 62, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And sometimes we are unfruitful in the kingdom because we have believed the deceitfulness of riches. And you think to yourself, but I'm not a bombastic person. I'm not, I'm not trying to drive the nicest car. I'm not trying to go after the nicest neighborhood. I've not been deceived by riches. But where does your trust rest? Not what kind of image are you trying to project. Where does your trust rest? Because if the concern over finances becomes the stumbling block to obedience, then mammon is your master. And again, I'm not saying that from a, from a place of judgment. I'm saying that as a fellow patient on the table where the surgeon <laughs> is doing a deep work every day and using these kinds of tools to do it. So what do we do about this? There's lots of ways to talk about our relationship with mammon, our relationship with money. We may save that for another day. I think the starting point today is just to bring awareness to the posture of our hearts. And it begins with a recognition of where we are and a willingness to see it transformed. It begins with a recognition to say, God, every, everything in my life you have full access to, including my relationship with money and the spirit that surrounds it that you labeled mammon. And God, I don't wanna just simply profess a Christian faith but not get fully translated into the kingdom of God. I want every area of my life to come under the government of this new king and this new kingdom. And Lord, I wanna make sure that my allegiance is not divided. I wanna make sure that my master is not mammon. And just to be honest, this takes, this takes honesty. It takes repentance. It takes healing. There's a lot of areas where we have difficulty trusting in the good nature of God as provider because we have areas of wounds there where we didn't feel provided for where we felt abandoned and we felt neglected and we felt forgotten and we felt overlooked. And God, I believe this morning, wants to come in like Jesus did in Matthew 6 and say, listen, your heavenly Father, he already knows everything that you need. Therefore, you don't have to live under the tyrant called mammon where every decision in your life, every movement in your life is controlled by fear and worry concerning possessions. No, but now everything in your life gets to be built upon the beautiful foundation of the word of God and the voice of God. And in that kingdom, there is righteousness, peace, and joy. And the world's kingdom, its characteristics are darkness, Fear, worry, deception, bondage. 
that internal ache and weight on your chest when you wake up in the morning and you feel that laying on you? That's the characteristics, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God. What are those characteristics? What does it look like to divorce mammon and surrender your allegiance to Jesus in the area of finances? Looks like righteousness, peace, and joy. Your decision-making is now free to seek the kingdom and his righteousness first. And out of the overflow of that pursuit, peace and joy come. And Jesus promised everything you need will be added to you. If you don't mind, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to pray together. There'll be prayer teams kind of around the room this morning. If in a moment you want to meet with one of our prayer teams and, and simply you know, expose areas that I need prayer here, I need agreement here. This is an area of difficulty for me. This is an area where I just need, I need God. I don't, this, I've not heard this kind of stuff before, I just need God. You can do that or right where you are at your seat. We want to give you an opportunity to interact with God and allow the surgeon, the Holy Spirit, to really bring not just cutting to areas, but healing to areas. The Holy Spirit is surgeon, doesn't cut open areas of our heart in order to just expose them for the fun of exposing them. He's a surgeon, which means he only exposes those areas in order to bring healing and life and peace. So if you would, let's pray together. And then I'll hand this back over to Pastor Joe. Father, this morning, as we have brought our hearts to the counsel of your word, of your scripture, I said the Holy Spirit <laughs> would do what only the Holy Spirit could do. That, Father, you would, on a deep, fundamental level, continue to transfer our allegiance from one kingdom to another. And, God, we give you access there. Whoa. Hey. Lord, we take the heart posture of surrender and repentance. Lord, as Pastor Joe said last week, that renewing or that transformation of our minds, the way that we think, we say yes in this area. Lord, we don't want just our confession to Jesus to be in alignment, but our trust to still be stuck in an old kingdom. Lord, we want our hearts to trust you. <laughs> Lord, forgive us where we have projected on you. Lord, areas of hurt from our past where we have felt neglected, forgotten, overlooked. Lord, we repent for projecting other people's actions upon you, our Heavenly Father. So Father, we ask that you would purify our vision of who you are through your word, that we would see you as the God who provides. The way Abraham and Moses, and the fathers of our faith, the way they saw you, may we see you in that way. Not as the God of barely, not as the God as I guess so, but as the God of more than enough. That you provide more than enough in every area of need. And it liberates us, Lord, to seek first your kingdom. To seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Father, we do that today. We open our hearts to you. And we say yes to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.